0: And welcome back to the all-new weekly program, Regionally Speaking, with your host, Tom Maloney and Dee Dotson. The CDC reports, each year, about 264,000 cases of breast cancer are diagnosed in women and about 2,400 in men. About 42,000 women and 500 men in the U.S. die each year from breast cancer. Black women have a higher rate of death from breast cancer than white women. For Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Lakeshore Public Radio honors survivors like Dr. Peggy Winston Pritchett. Dr. Peggy is a three-time breast cancer survivor and is the founder of the nonprofit foundation that bears her name. Dr. Peggy, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking.
1: You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be on your
0: show. Let's start at the beginning for you. When were you diagnosed with breast cancer?
1: The first diagnosis was in 2001. I was in a first stage of breast cancer when I was diagnosed.
0: And how was your cancer initially detected? And how did you feel when you first received that news?
1: So I detected my breast cancer by doing a self-mammogram, self-examination, I should say. And I felt a small bump in my lower right quadrant of my right breast. And it was alarming because that bump was hard as opposed to being squishy. So I then went to an oncologist and he performed the test on my breast. He thought I had breast cancer and sent me immediately for an urgent ultrasound. I had to have an ultrasound immediately and it was a quick succession of events. The ultrasound, then the uh, surgeon, then I was in the hospital. Next thing you know, I was having breast cancer surgery, after which I received 26 radiation treatments as well as four treatments of chemotherapy. In terms of how I felt, I was devastated by the whole process. In fact, I began to chronicle my, my experience the first day that I received the news from the doctor that I had stage 1 breast cancer. There's a protocol that you go through when you have breast cancer. and He explained the protocol to me. And it was devastating. I wrote everything down on the manuscript. I just chronicled everything because it was devastating to me. It took my breath away. And it hurt my feelings so very, very much that I just didn't know what to do. That was the last thing that I thought would happen to me because I had been very athletic, very health conscious. And it just, I know there was no history of breast cancer in my family. So I was completely devastated and taken aback by the whole experience.
0: Right, so Dr. Peggy, you just said something that kind of leads to my next question. I was going to ask you because you shared that you were the one that initially found the lump in your breast. And so I was going to ask you, because you hear this quite often, if in fact there was a history of breast cancer in your family and if that is what led you to begin to do self-examinations, what led you to do a self-examination?
1: I've always done self examinations since I was 23 years old. I learned about Self-examinations when I got my first mammogram. And I started early with my self-examinations because I was just curious about my body. So I'd always check myself to make sure that I was okay. And thing about history, I have to tell you, history started with me and my family because I had that question too. I didn't understand. I, I asked my parents, my mother, because my father was deceased at the time, about the history of breast cancer or cancer in general in our family on either side, and there was none. So history of breast cancer started with me, unfortunately. I was the very first person in my family to be diagnosed on either my mother or father's side of the family.
0: Well, I'm glad that you shared that because oftentimes people, especially early on, to begin to do self-examinations, they do that, in fact, because there is a history. So I'm so glad that you were able to share that because of just awareness of self and wanting to make certain that you were always healthy, that you took the initiative to do the self-examinations. So thank you for sharing that with us. You're quite welcome. So, you know, you spoke a bit about, you know, speaking with your mom about the family history on both maternal and paternal side. So going through breast cancer the first time that you had it or any any of the other times, because you are a three time survivor. Did you have a support network? And if not, how did you overcome or find a support network? I know you're from the East Coast, correct?
1: That is correct. I'm initially from Hampton, Virginia. In terms of a uh, support network, my support network came from my family and members of the Church of Christ. I was not the type of person to be involved in self-help organizations or group therapy or any of those things. And just personally, for me, it made me depressed to hear stories about all of the breast cancer and the things that people went through. And I'm a more upbeat type of person and I didn't like to be in a room or in an environment where everything was negative about people's experience and that's what I got out of group and so I turned internally to my family and into my my religious beliefs and to the people that pray and pray hard and that I believe had my best interest at heart and then I had a determination and a drive to succeed in this battle because of my mother and my family. I have always, since the age of 21, taken care of my family in terms of financial support because my father died when I was 21. So I took on the responsibility of helping my mother. And so a lot of my determination and drive with respect to survivorship came from the desire not to leave my family and to Survive so that I can help my mom. Not so much about myself, but more about the people that I love.
0: So, we've shared in our time together that you are a three time breast cancer survivor. So, were there any programs or services offered to you that would help with uh, the treatment process during any of those times that you found yourself once again going into battle, going into war against breast cancer?
1: Unfortunately, there is not, um, in my case, there was not any organizations or any individuals that reached out to me and said, Hey, Peggy, we know what you're going through. Come and be a part of this. There was no organized way of people reaching out to breast cancer survivors. And that is part of the reason why I started my foundation is because it's so important that people understand how terrible this disease really is. It's important that nobody reached out to us. You know, it's right. important there's an opportunity right there, Dee, right. that they can't, that, that, that needs to be fixed. No one outside of my family and the doctors that were treating me really knew. So when you have these organizations, you get pamphlets from different doctors about places you can call. But in general, there was no one calling me to help me. So are was lonesome battles, if you will, except that I had my strength in God and in my my support by my family and friends and members of the church.
0: As I listened to you share your journey and you shared that as you were going along this journey, that the only ones that were privy to the information that you were fighting breast cancer were your medical professionals team and your family members and church members. So why was that? Was it because you did not want anyone to, in some ways, take pity, you know, What what made you want to just kind of hold that close to you?
1: Well, I will say certainly there is a stigma attached to people who are diagnosed with breast cancer, in my opinion. And certainly I did not want people to have pity on me. I am not the person to burden people with my problems. And I'm not a person that needs to be pampered. And I don't like I don't have self-pity. And I don't want people to have pity on me because I have an inner strength that drives me to rise above, above anything that happens to me, even if it's so devastating that I never knew it's going to happen. For some reason, I just don't want people to see me as weak because I have breast cancer or because I was diagnosed with breast cancer back in 2001. We did not have the social media presence and availability that we have today. So it wasn't so easy for people to know who was being diagnosed in an orderly manner where organizations could reach out to you through some kind of website or anything like that where they could find out who was being diagnosed. There was no database generated that showed when people were being diagnosed. With cancer, like you might have uh, reporting of death. There's nothing like that back then, and that I know of right now, that notifies any organizations, even the American Cancer Society, the Coleman Foundation, or any other foundation that someone is being diagnosed with breast cancer. That is where we need to close the
0: loop. I never, ever even gave consideration to what you just offered about there being some sort of a mechanism in place that allowed for members of our community who receive that diagnosis to be connected almost instantaneously with services and or resources from the actual organizations that provide those services and or resources because as you've shared when you receive the information or when you receive that diagnosis number 1 you I would assume I've never received the diagnosis but I'm assuming that number one initial shock sets in right and then you and then you probably go through a process of like so many women of okay let's just get this taken care of but you don't necessarily have the information the tips and the tools outside of as you've shared a handbook a pamphlet a website address email a 1-800 number things of that sort for you to call but I think that what you shared was that was so awesome that perhaps organizations could and probably should consider is reaching out to that individual because men as well as women do uh, receive that diagnosis of breast cancer cancer, I think that that is important that you shared that I never gave thought to that because, you know, once again, as I shared, you're in shock. And so you're not thinking, Okay, and now let me call whatever the organization is, Organization XYZ for Breast Cancer. It would probably help the journey, having a professional to reach out and, and connect you.
1: Yes, I think in retrospect, I may have been more receptive to group therapy and that type of thing had someone cared enough to call me or to reach out to me and see if they could talk to me, give me the opportunity to say yes or no. Unfortunately, the three times that I have been diagnosed with breast cancer, that has never happened. Even in this day and age, as recently as 2019, when I received my third diagnosis, no one reached out to me. What you have is a protocol for how to treat breast cancer, and then you have the aftercare which is the therapy, the the maintenance that you do after you've received the initial treatment. And along the way, you're given all these things to read literature about it and you have advocates. So they talk to you in the hospitals and in the clinics, but there's nothing that brings us all together. There's no way that people contact us and say, hey, I represent this organization and your name was given to me as a part of the list of men and women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer from this day to that day. It does not exist in my knowledge. And I think that that would be a wonderful thing to have because it would give an individual, one, a sense that they're not alone and people care. And two, it gives you the opportunity to say, yes, I want to talk about it or no, I don't want to receive your help because I can't handle it or I'm just not ready right now. If you can appreciate what I'm saying.
0: Absolutely. I think that what you offer to just help men and women navigate breast cancer. So once again, I thank you for offering that.
1: Certainly. I do want to say one thing. You know, there are HIPAA laws that prevent certain medical information from being disseminated. However, you can have a generalization like this person received notification that they had breast cancer without getting into their medical record. So I'm saying that to say that that shouldn't prevent them from creating something that reaches out to the people who are diagnosed, to be clear.
0: Now, Dr. Peggy, going back to each of the times that you received the devastating news that you had breast cancer, did you face any obstacles during your treatment process?
1: Oh, yes. I. Um, the obstacles that I faced were personal. And the obstacles that I'm talking about are obstacles that required to make hard decisions, you know. Breast cancer patients have to make decisions about what kind of care they're willing to take, what kind of procedures they're willing to undergo. And those are hurdles that are hard to overcome. We have to just keep it in perspective. The hurdles that I faced were, one, with respect to my career, how devastating this would be or the impact it would have on my ability to do my job and to go to work and to be promoted because people have a tendency to see breast cancer diagnosis as a sign of weakness or they you know, don't want to put additional stress on you, so you might not get promoted and those kind of things. So I've had to work hard to show that this is not a weakness, it's an illness. And those are the kind of hurdles that I face as a woman and as a breast cancer survivor on top of being a woman and an African-American woman at that. I faced so many hurdles with respect to my profession that professional career that at times felt insurmountable, but I never let that stop me. And I continued to fight to prove myself worthy. And, you know, in most cases I was able to do that. But the only other, fortunately for me, in every case where I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I had great insurance and that's so important. I was able to afford the care, the treatment procedures that I needed that were life-saving. There are a lot of folks who are underserved and underprivileged who cannot afford um, a prosthetic or mammography, and they don't have insurance. And that's why it's so important that organizations exist to provide assistance to people who have breast cancer, who may not have the, the wherewithal. Or the financial ability to get the treatments that are necessary to save their lives.
0: Now, Dr. Peggy, you recently published the book, My Breast Cancer Story, which you shared earlier that when you were first diagnosed with breast cancer, you began to chronicle your journey. Written in the midst of your treatment, you take the reader, as I've shared, along for your journey. And let me say this, when you are vulnerable, you empower people to take charge of their health. So please take a moment to tell us about your book and what inspired your vulnerability to even write the book as you were undergoing treatment.
1: Um... I was inspired to write my story because I couldn't believe it was happening to me, for one, but I appreciated the fact that it happened to me, not my mother or my sister, who had had six kids that she was raising at the time. And so rather than be angry and frustrated about the process, I cried a lot. I prayed a lot, and I wrote down every feeling and emotion that I had, and I tried to write the book based on... Everything that happened to me and the reactions of folks who were around me at the time and how this has impacted my whole life. And there are some vulnerable things that I say in my book. I open up about my experience because it's real life and I'm not ashamed of the experience that I had. I want to be able to touch somebody and inspire somebody to let them know, here's what you might go through but this is how you can overcome, and if I can do it, you can do it. And that's kind of the reason I wrote the book. And secondly, it's because I wanted a legacy. I wanted to have a legacy. When I was diagnosed a second time with breast cancer, that's when I pulled out 100 pages of printed manuscripts where, for whatever reason, I had typed it on, my, on the laptop, but I printed the pages, and I kept those pages with me for 17 years to be honest with you and at the point where I had breast cancer the second time I decided at that point here's where I gotta go I gotta write my book I gotta get my doctorate have to fulfill my short and long-term goals right now because obviously this disease is trying to take my life and so that gave me the fortitude if you will to take my book the, the papers and to send it off to a publishing company because it wasn't enough for me to say this is good work. I wanted a professional to take a look at my book and let me know whether or not they felt it was publishable. And Durant's Publishing did just that. they read my story and immediately got back to me and said they would be willing to publish my book. And that solidified my belief that the words in that book had meaning. And that's how that came about. And that's how I became a doctor too. And in the midst of the second breast cancer ordeal, I didn't have to write the book. I had to study for the doctorate. So each time that I have had a diagnosis, I have been working on self, either writing a book or working on getting an advanced degree or trying to do something positive to keep my mind off my circumstances.
0: Wow, that is awesome. The fact that you are able to, even in the midst of everything, to continue to matriculate and continue to just live life, even it may seem as if everything around you may not go the way you had planned um, for you to to have the strength and the, and just to be brave enough to say, I'm going to continue to pursue my education. So for that, I am both grateful for your perseverance, but I'm also very proud of, of all that you have been able to accomplish.
1: I have to tell you, you know, even um, having gone through this three times, it still hurts. The pain never goes away because you live with this every day. So you have to please excuse me for being a little
0: bit emotional here and there it's hard. Never apologize for sharing your story because the words that you're sharing now, even when you are going through it, you never know how what you are sharing will help give someone who is listening to you that extra whatever it is, that extra tap, that extra push, or even that extra chin check to keep going. So never apologize for being your true, real, raw, authentic self. I thank you for being able to allow me to to be the mechanism in which you are sharing your story with our listening audience.
1: You're welcome. And I thank you for allowing me to share because I just want
0: to let people know
1: that you have to love yourself. You have to believe in yourself and you have to believe that you can overcome this disease no matter how bad it is. You have to fight. You have to want to survive it in order to survive. It's not enough to just take the medicine and take the diagnosis and and just lay down and die. That's not what we do. You have to take the diagnosis, take the problem, and figure out, okay, here's what I need to do for me so that I can live every day in harmony and so that I can continue to self-actualize and be the person that I want to be in spite of this diagnosis. And that's what I want people to get from me is in I love the diagnosis. Your life matters. Your dreams matter. You make a difference. And you have to fight for those who come behind you and stand on our shoulders. That's what it's about. We have to show other generations if there isn't a cure forthcoming right now, then I need them to stand on my shoulders. I want them to know that if I can do it, you can do it. And that's the legacy. And that's what I want people to take away from me.
0: Okay, so Dr. Peggy, on to some upbeat, great news because you did share earlier, as I said, that you respond more favorably to an upbeat environment. And to that point, you are hosting a big event in recognition of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So please take a moment to tell us, number one, about your foundation, but number two, tell us about the big event that you have planned.
1: The I have I decided when I was diagnosed the third time with breast cancer, and mind you. The, third, the first and second time, the first time I had breast cancer, it was diagnosed in my right quadrant, the lower right quadrant of my right right breast. The second time I was diagnosed, the cancer was in my chest wall of the right breast. This last time that I was diagnosed, the breast cancer had metastasized and it, it is currently today in my right lung. So as I received treatment in 2020, I received stem cell transplant. I was able to receive that, and it did not put my cancer in remission. However, it took the levels of cancer, both the breast cancer and, at that time, I was diagnosed with myeloma, which is a blood cancer. So the transplant was supposed to, they thought and hoped, that it would, through that big mega dose of chemotherapy, that it would kill the cancers in my body including the breast cancer that was in my right lung, and pushed down or get rid of, put in remission, the myeloma, And it did neither. What it did do, however, is it destroyed a lot of the myeloma and brought the levels down to a manageable number. With respect to breast cancer, what it has done so far is stop the progression and spread of the breast cancer. So knowing all these things and knowing all the uncertainties about my life, I decided when I came into some money that I was going to do something that would leave a legacy for my family and friends. I don't have any children. So what I thought was, and I don't, I don't have anybody to start a foundation in my name. So I started my own foundation with my own money. My foundation's name is Dr. Peggy Winston Pritchett, Breast Cancer Foundation Incorporated. It was incorporated in the state of Indiana on May 1st of 2022. And we're doing business as Dr. Peggy's Karaoke for the Cure, which brings about the fun. As a doctor, I did the research to determine whether or not any other organizational or individual was using karaoke, the artistry, as a means by which to raise money and awareness of breast cancer. Use that artistry to fight the battle, to help find a cure, you know, furthering the research that's already been done. And there were none. There were no other organizations or individuals who were using karaoke as a means by which to raise money in this fight. And it's interesting because you have all kinds of song or singing contests. You have race for the cure, walk for the cure. You have all these other avenues that people can do to raise money for this horrible disease and its fight. But there was no one using karaoke. So I kept that a secret for one year until I was financially able to establish this organization. And so where we are right now is that we have three member board of directors and we made a conscious decision to try to have an event where we bring in as many as 100 to 200 karaoke singers and have an audience of a minimum of 300 to be entertained by these karaoke singers, and it accomplishes three things. One, we're using the artistry of karaoke to raise money in the fight against breast cancer to help find a cure. Secondly, we're providing this karaoke event at the Avalon Manor, for example, in an environment that's family-friendly. Anybody from the age of 7 to 107 can participate in karaoke. As many people know, karaoke is often seen in the bars and different places. But what we intend to do is swing the pendulum from the bar scene to the mainstream, allowing families to enjoy seeing people do karaoke in an environment that children can be a part of, etc., and lastly, the third thing that this accomplishes is it actually gives these artists a platform to showcase their talent. On Sunday, October 23rd, we will live stream these performances and there will also be a representative from, if not Andre himself, Andre Beast Creighton from Indianapolis has a podcast. He and his team of professionals are coming to live stream this event as well. So we're doing all that we can do to try to make sure that the word gets out and people participate in the karaoke and they come out as patrons to support the people that are singing because the, the winner is chosen by applause. And there is a great, great um, prizes. There's some wonderful prizes for the winners. The intention is actually to have 11 events. The first, of one, the first one is Sunday. It's the premiere. Those, that winner will receive a prize of $100 cash, a large trophy, and some other gifts, gift bags, etc. and they advance automatically to the finale. So out of each of the 10 events, one person will emerge as the winner, and the finale will be the culmination of all 10 of those competing against each other. For the grand prize, it's $500 cash, $100 gift card, and other prizes, the total value is $1,000. So we're trying to create something that's fun, uplifting, and entertaining, and that benefits breast cancer research. And that's the whole idea. And then this way, I leave a legacy with my book and with my dedication to helping others survive by raising money to help find a cure. And I'm
0: happy with that. <laughs> so, Dr. Peggy, I just have a question. Why karaoke? The
1: yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. Karaoke was born out of the idea that not everyone, including myself, can race, can walk, or can be exposed to the sun for long periods of time because I and other people have received so much chemotherapy that is detrimental to us to do so. So with karaoke in mind, I know that most of us can sit down. We can laugh and we can applaud. And this way we're not doing anything detrimental to ourselves just to show our support for raising money
0: karaoke Mm -hmm. usually involves singing and and singing the lyrics of some of the more popular songs that we we know and we love and are just embedded in our culture. So quick question just for me. Well, I'm asking for a friend. Do you have to know how to sing really well? Absolutely not. And the more
1: that don't know how to sing, the better it is because this is not a singing competition. So
0: I can get up there and kind of me, 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 me. And as long as I get 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 the crowd going. Absolutely.
1: And guess what? You might win. You can get up there and 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 just have fun and the crowd get involved with you and clap and you can win, you know, because it's not a prerequisite. You do not have to know how to sing in order to participate in karaoke. As a matter of fact, karaoke should not be rehearsed. And necessarily, people should not know their song, the songs They shouldn't tell you the songs in advance that they're going to sing because this is not. And I emphasize that it's not a singing competition. It's entertainment.
0: So the event is just a few days away. So if anyone is interested, are there still opportunities to buy tickets? Absolutely. I ask these people to please,
1: performers and patrons, go to org and sign up to either perform or to watch performers. And you may also, if you're not willing or don't able to come out, you can donate to this organization. The money will go automatically to the foundation. The foundation is um, partnered with a local organization to give 15% of its net profit to an organization dedicated to breast cancer research and to helping cancer patients afford the necessary uh, procedures and products that they need to survive. So I'm excited about
0: that. Great. I think that's a great note for us to end right there, Doctor Peggy. The importance of it's all about having fun, bringing smiles to, to people at a time in which they have received some of the most devastating news of their lives. It's an opportunity, and it's a time to just relax and have fun, and don't take yourself too seriously, right?
1: Yes, right, correct. And we need that. We need to have a reason to smile, and be happy, and we need the camaraderie. And we need, and you know. We need our families to have a reason to smile and to see us smile as well, because they are very, very involved and touched by the experience, see? So I'm
0: happy to bring this to the forefront. Dr. Peggy winston Pritchett is a three-time breast cancer survivor and is the founder of the nonprofit foundation that bears her name. Dr. Peggy, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking.
1: You're welcome. It has been a pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate the opportunity you've given me, D.
0: While the United States may hold the top spots in many competitive categories across the world, unfortunately, saving for retirement is not one of them. The Natixis Investment Manager's 2021 Global Retirement Index ranked the U.S. 17th globally. Furthermore, the Mercer CFA Institute Global Pension Index gave the U.S. a C+ grade when comparing its retirement system to other nations. These mediocre results may come as a surprise to many Americans, but what could be even more eye-opening is the grade of their personal retirement plan. In honor of National Retirement Security Week, we recently spoke with Northwest Indiana Financial Advisor Greg Hammer, who provides a retirement plan report card that Hoosiers can use to review and grade their own plan. He also provides insights on strategies to help boost your retirement plan grade. Greg, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking.
2: Thanks for having me, Dee.
0: So, Greg, what can you tell us about these two indexes, and why did the U.S. globally rank number 17 on one list and received a C-plus on the other in terms of retirement?
2: Sure. Yes. Yeah. So the, the next is Investment Managers Global Retirement is a uh, multifaceted index that examines and compares different retirement practices, uh, to help residents prepare for and live through retirement. So it includes like the uh, International Monetary Fund, um, the Organiz- Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, uh, the BRIC countries, which are like Brazil, Russia, India, and China. And then the Mercer CFA Institute, the Global Pension Index, is just, again, another multifaceted global index that looks at retirement practices and, and both indices, uh Take into consideration a couple of things: uh, the adequacy of the, of the nation's retirement system design, you know, like the government support, home ownership assets, things of that nature; the sustainability of the retirement programs or plans, you know, like the pensions, the uh, economic growth, total assets, government debt, those types of things. And then finally, the integrity or regulation of the retirement system that's in place, you know, the protection, the operating costs, so forth.
0: Why does the U.S. fall behind?
2: Well, they fall behind because, you know, the U.S. The retirement system doesn't give everyone an opportunity to develop a financially secure retirement. Compared to other nations, the U.S. has substantially less opportunities for Americans to participate in you know, workplace savings plans. So basically what that means is U.S. citizens must prepare a lot on their own to be able to retire one day.
0: So, Greg, so as we said earlier, the U.S. ranked 17 on one list and received a C-plus on the other list. Which country came out on top?
2: Well, if you like snow, Iceland uh, came out on top on both lists, and uh, primarily because they provide very generous retirement benefits to a large share of its population and also has a very low level of old age poverty and has a higher relative uh, degree of retirement income equality.
0: So, Greg, you state that there are eight essential items that you think are crucial for someone planning for retirement. Let's talk about those eight right now. Listeners can count how many items on the list they already have checked off or completed to see if they get an A, B, or C grade for their own personal retirement readiness. So here we go. Number one on your list is to build a budget. Why is this first?
2: Well, I mean, everybody has to start somewhere you know, even the Warren Buffetts and financial advisors had to start at square one. And if you haven't already implemented, you know, some budget or some recognition of what, you know, your your situation is, um, the net, for example, National Retirement Savings Week is a great time to look at the money you have coming in versus expenses. I always tell people that's, you know, the two things that you can control right what's coming in and what's going out and all businesses review their financials so it's wise that individuals and couples do a review of their finances as well and evaluating you know those finances shouldn't take a long time but it provides a good picture a lot of insight of your overall financial health and once you've done that you know you can build a budget around You know, the foundation for the things that are really important to you are the actions that you want to cover. And I always recommend, you know, paying yourself first when you're creating that budget.
0: Now, speaking of building, build an emergency fund. You know, we hear this advice often, but few people do this. Can you remind us why this is important?
2: Yeah, I mean, to me, before you start saving for retirement, it's crucial to have an emergency fund. So that when the unexpected happens, and it does, it always does, you're not pulling away from your retirement account. And a lot of times when you're sent those retirement accounts, if you don't have that, you could be it could be very destructive to those accounts because of potential consequences like penalties and things of that nature. So at the very minimum, uh, we like to see at least three to six months of expenses in easy access cash.
0: Okay, here's another one. Actively participate in a retirement plan. Where should someone start?
2: Well, don't waste any time actively participating in a retirement plan that's made available to you. You know, you know, a lot of times people will it's there and they and they just put it off. You know, it seems so far off in the future. Your young family, you know, your your income maybe is just being orchestrated in ways that you don't prioritize saving and this can be a huge mistake. You know, the younger you are, the more time you have compound interest to work for you. So if it's available through your employer, contribute to the things like the 401Ks, 457s, 403Bs, at the very least, the amount that they're matching in contribution, and then review options for like your health savings accounts. And outside of those plans, I love the Roth IRA opportunity. You know, if you're eligible to contribute to it, creates a lot of flexibility Um, in terms of access prior to 59 and a half, has other qualifying events. And then, you know, if you are a business owner, there's uh, uh, other products could be made available to you, like uh, a self-employment plan, like a SEP, things of that nature.
0: Now I have another one. Eliminate bad debt. How can someone do that?
2: Well, we, we can keep this very simple, right? Eliminate bad debt if you have any. You know, it could be crippling, you know. Credit cards, you know, paying the minimums, will you'll pay that debt over several times. So that money will not grow, and you'd rather have your money grow for you or your future rather than somebody else's. So understanding kind of, you know, just different ways to structure that pay off and how to prioritize them um, could end up putting a lot more money in your working future than somebody else's.
0: So how much should someone save? And this
2: is always the tough question. You know, I have a lot of times with my clients, Steve, because at the end of the day, you know, your lifestyle need will drive what you should save, or you're going to be adjusting your lifestyle need. Because you go back to the first item we discussed, you know, when you review your financial house, it gives you a clear view of what, you know, your bigger financial goals and objectives might be in the way of, you know, paying off a mortgage, paying off a child's college education. Um, after reviewing your goals, then try and estimate how much you'll need in retirement, you know, like housing, health insurance, um, medical expenses, maybe concerns about, you know, long-term care, whether you want to travel, you know, develop a plan that meets all those goals. And then, you know, often, You know, when you see that, it's it's it seems like a mountain, but start with what you can. You need to start with something. I always tell people build off of it. I started way back when when I got out of college with a hundred bucks a month. And a lot of times, it's better to picture a percentage. You know, ten percent, twenty percent of your paycheck because when you get a raise, you're automatically going to save more. If you're closer to retirement or if you're older, you know, then you got to understand what that impact is since you know the time. You know that same. $100 hundred dollars might be three or four hundred dollars that you need to contribute or if you want to do certain things in retirement it might require dollars above that. You know, so it's really gotta be focused on, you know, what you determine your lifestyle desires are and then understand the math is it's something that's possible.
0: Okay, so next on the list is to develop an estate plan. Why is this important?
2: Well, I think the the simple part of it is, you know, most people think of an estate plan as something that's just this huge, you know, value house with multitudes of uh, investments and, and assets. assets. Reality of it is, is, you know, we don't know what the future will bring. And, and part of your retirement plan should include, you know, updated just beneficiary designations on your retirement accounts is the life insurance policies set up properly? Is there enough there for them? Um, These are crucial because the beneficiaries listed on those counts will trump your will. So if you have a certain desired objective with some of your assets, um, the will or any trust development will, will um, will not be carried out if everything's directly designated from defined contracts like your IRAs or TODs, um, you know, pass on death type accounts. Those were, those will supersede any, any, you know, estate planning. So just, I guess, the overall message is just understand how the whole picture fits together and ensure that your wishes are actually carried out, um, and that your loved ones aren't going to have to make difficult decisions on your behalf.
0: And finally, Greg, withdraw funds and minimize taxes in retirement. Are there any hefty taxes in retirement?
2: Uh, it's always a you know a comment I make people. Is, is we were taught for years, at least my parents' generation, you know, save uh, until retirement when taxes are lower. Well, taxes are only going to be lower the if you don't have any money because the tax brackets don't change. There's not two different tax brackets. However, that being said learning how to mitigate taxes is crucial. A lot of people don't realize that the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, our current uh, tax code, sunsets after 2025. So we return back to the old code unless the government steps in. So understanding the opportunities in there um, create a lot of planning opportunities to minimize taxes and developing a plan that can be a lot more efficient by taking advantage of the current tax laws. And those are some of the things that I would advocate heavily on if, if you don't understand the tax code. and Listen, there's nothing intuitive at all about the IRS tax code that you have people understand You know where those planning opportunities are because they're the best I've seen in, in my career and I've been in this industry for 30 years.
0: Okay, Greg, so we're at the end of the test. And so for our listeners, if you have six or seven of these items checked off, you get an A grade. If you have four or five of these items checked off, you get a B. And if you have one to three of these items checked off, you get a C grade. This is good news. And just like school, you can improve your grade by doing some of the homework and working towards checking off the unchecked boxes. So, Greg, as always, thank you once again for joining us on Regionally Speaking.
2: Thanks for having
0: me, Dee. Greg Hammer is the president and CEO of Hammer Financial Group, Inc., located in northwest Indiana. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for today and for this week. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Peggy Winston-Perchette, as well as Northwest Indiana Financial Advisor Greg Hammer. And we'll be back with you next week with all new fresh conversation about the upcoming midterm elections.